1: Welcome fans to 1001 Heroes Legends Histories and Mysteries. We're here today with William G. Highland Jr., the author of George Mason, the founding father who gave us the Bill of Rights. And if you would try to picture what life is like without the Bill of Rights, the first 10 amendments, actually things would be pretty tough. George Mason is an amazing guy. George Mason, although very underspoken, is definitely one of those guys that we owe our freedom and liberty to. Bill Highland, how are you doing today?
2: Good afternoon. I'm doing well. How about yourself?
1: Very good. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about your background, please, and what inspired you to write this book.
2: I'm a uh, lawyer with a national law firm, uh, Vernis and Bowling. And this is my fourth history book that I've written on the revolutionary history uh, and a biography of revolutionary heroes. My first book was on uh, Thomas Jefferson. And when I was doing the research for Thomas Jefferson, I actually found that one of his mentors was George Mason. So that prompted me to write this book and biography about George Mason who I believe is one of the uncredited persons, certainly in in our American history, because he wrote some of the most important documents in our political
1: history. All men are created equally free and independent, and have certain inherent natural rights, among which are the enjoyment of life and liberty, with the means of acquiring and possessing property, and pursuing and obtaining happiness and safety. And to my listeners, I would ask, does this sound familiar to you? Jefferson leaned heavily upon George Mason's writings for the Declaration of Independence. And that's, that weaves itself into our story here.
0: Yes,
2: uh, that, that was Mason's original draft for his Virginia Declaration of Rights, which was written about a month before Jefferson's Declaration of Independence in Philadelphia. And, in fact, uh, Jefferson, Franklin, and Adams had a copy of Mason's Virginia Declaration of Rights, and all three of them borrowed heavily uh, from Mason's original writings and incorporated these famous words. But Mason is not really credited with the famous words, and I think he should be, as I point out in my book.
1: Your book really rescues him from the abyss into which he's pretty much been placed. He was just a quiet family guy. Could you kind of describe his life and how history has managed to overlook him?
2: Yes, he was not a public man like Jefferson, Madison, and Washington. He preferred the comforts of his family and his farm and his books at his mansion in Gunston Hall, which was overlooking the Potomac River. So he was very much a private man. His wife died at the age of 39 and left him with nine children to raise basically by himself. So he was a very reluctant politician. And in fact, the Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia was the first time ever in his life that he ventured outside of his home state of Virginia.
1: When did he first become involved in politics? Was it through Jefferson? or was it on his own in Virginia?
2: It was on his own. I believe he became a delegate to the House of Burgesses um, sometime in the early 1770s. Um, but again, he was very reluctant to serve because he really enjoyed his family, his peace, and his farm at Gunston Hall. But the more that he found that the Britain was taxing the colonies without really representation, The more he became involved in Virginia politics, which ultimately led him to going to the Virginia Constitutional Convention in 1776 in May in Williamsburg. And that's where he wrote his most famous document, the Virginia Declaration of Rights, which was basically the preamble and the blueprint for the Bill of Rights adopted 12 years later.
1: What famous writers and thinkers did he rely on to produce that document? Mason himself was obviously a great thinker.
2: That was one of the amazing things about George Mason. Whereas Madison and Jefferson went to college and law school, Mason was self-taught. He never went to college, never went to law school, but he was taught by his uncle after his father died at a very early age. He was taught by his uncle, John Mercer, who had one of the best libraries in the colony of Virginia at the time, over 1,700 volumes of really English law, and so he basically read the most famous philosophers, English philosophers, like John Locke, Montesquieu, Rousseau, the English Bill of Rights. So he was very versed in law and the Bill of Rights, which did him well and served him well when he wrote both, both the Virginia Declaration of Independence and the Virginia Constitution.
1: I've, I've read and heard many times this statement, and I believe it to be true, in that what makes America so different is that the Constitution guarantees that our rights are given to us by god not by a king not by a dictator but by god is that unique to america do you think or one of the things that makes america strong
2: well i i agree with you um and george mason certainly believed that he believed that what he called the creator gave mankind natural rights and one of the natural rights he talked about in his Virginia Declaration of Rights was uh, life and liberty and the freedom uh, to choose. So he believed that government uh, should be, and what he wrote, that all power is vested and consequently derived from the people. And he believed that the Creator, God, gave natural rights to mankind, and one of them was life and liberty.
1: And how has that been challenged in the past 50 years in the courts?
2: Well, you know, uh, really, I think individual rights um, have been somewhat overtaken by the government. And that is one thing that Mason really feared. He feared in the Constitutional Convention in 1787 of a too powerful government, something like they had just broken away from. And in fact, one of his unique ideas about the presidency was not to have one single individual as a president, but a three-member executive council. So he was very fearful of a overgrown and an overpowerful federal government, and that led him to uh, not sign, withhold his signature from the Constitution in 1787. He was one of three men who did not sign the Constitution because it did not contain a Bill of Rights for individual freedom at the
1: time. Explain what happened from the time America won its place in the world and defeated Great Britain, and the Revolution had ended. Describe that time in America between the end of the Revolution and the time that we put together a Constitution. What kind of laws were we being governed by during those years? And what were, the, what were the problems in creating a new framework?
2: Well, one of the problems was that there was no national federal government. So the states were joined in what's called the Articles of Confederation. But that led basically to 12 different small national governments. In fact, France at one time was going to send 12 different ambassadors to 12 different states. And that eventually led both Mason and Washington to look at the problems with the Articles of Confederation. And they believed that there should be something stronger, uh, a more cohesive national government. And that is why basically uh, the states called for the Constitutional Convention to ratify or change the Articles of Confederation. And that's the emphasis for the Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia in 1787, and basically that was prompted by uh, Shay's Rebellion, where the states actually rebelled against the government for um, overtaxation. So that they saw problems with the Articles of Confederation, and that was the impetus for the Constitutional Convention.
1: Now, that convention took place in 1787, and yet we didn't have a drafted constitution until when?
2: It was formed in September. They stayed in Philadelphia for three months, came up with a draft constitution that all members signed, except three members, George Mason, uh, Edmund Randolph, and Elbridge Gerry, did not sign the constitution. But after the constitution was signed in Philadelphia... It had to be ratified by nine of the 12 states before it became law. So each state had their own ratifying convention about a year after the Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia.
1: And that was going to bring in uh, 12 new opinions, is that right? It did, and
2: Mason participated in the Virginia Constitutional Convention about a year after that and he joined forces with Patrick Henry to oppose the Constitution as it was written, primarily because it did not include a specific Bill of Rights. That was Mason's clarion call, that he would sign it, he would be fine with some of these uh, empowered national rights, but he wanted a Bill of Rights attached to the Constitution. And ultimately, Virginia passed and ratified the Constitutional Convention, but it made it with several amendments that were based on Mason's Virginia Declaration of Rights.
1: Uh, The Bill of Rights today are the first ten amendments, is that correct?
2: That is correct.
1: And for the sake of our listeners, could you go through briefly each one of those Bill of Rights and how and how and why do you, to the best of your knowledge, George Mason wanted it in there? What was what was important to him?
2: One of the most important, of course, was the First Amendment. And Mason basically wrote the blueprint for the First Amendment: freedom of the press, freedom of expression. Um, it was Madison who kind of edited Mason's Declaration of Rights into the First Amendment. But one of the the premium amendments that Mason wrote in his Virginia Declaration of Rights was that the freedom of the press is one of the greatest bulwarks of liberty and can never be restrained by a despotic government. And that, again, was turned into the First Amendment. But people don't know and realize that Mason basically wrote the blueprint for the Second Amendment, the right to bear arms. He wrote that, quote, a well-regulated militia composed of the body of the people trained to arms is the proper, natural, and safe defense of a free state. So Mason basically wrote our first 10 amendments to the Constitution, and they were taken basically 12 years before when he wrote his Declaration of Rights in 1776.
1: His Bill of Rights, uh, if if I'm correct in saying this, has given us a guarantee, a federal guarantee, to free school, free churches, labor unions, religious and civic organizations, uh, like you said, a right to a right to bear arms, uh, no quartering of soldiers in homes, which was a huge issue during the Revolution, uh, no unreasonable searches, no warrants without probable cause, and that was a question for you. What happens when the probable cause? is falsified.
2: Well, he wrote that in his uh, eighth paragraph, um, basically which codified the Fifth Amendment to and the Sixth Amendment to the Constitution to be free from self-incrimination, uh, to have a speedy and impartial jury trial by your peers. But one of his most important written documents and what he wrote in the Declaration of Rights was the freedom of religion. He stated that all men are equally entitled to the free exercise of religion, and that was a, a very controversial but a very paramount uh, right that he wrote in his Virginia Declaration of Rights, basically meaning that each man and woman was free to exercise their own religion, and that was very controversial um, at the time of his writing of the Declaration of Rights.
1: The whole creation of the Constitution must have seemed like a never-ending firestorm. What friends did Mason make during this process, and what enemies did he make? And I don't know if "enemy" is the right word, but uh, people who were against uh, goals.
2: Well, two of his um, two of his friends actually turned out to be bitter political enemies, and in fact, he lost his uh, lifelong friendship with George Washington who was both a friend and a neighbor to him. But it was Washington and Madison who did not think a Bill of Rights was necessary at the Constitutional Convention. And all three men had a very bitter falling out after the convention in 1787 in Philadelphia. And in fact, Washington really never forgave Mason for opposing the Constitution He felt that that was disloyalty uh, to him personally, and their friendship ended after uh, 30 years. But he joined uh, forces with Patrick Henry. Patrick Henry was one of the most fierce opponents of the Constitution because it did not contain that Bill of Rights. But ultimately, uh, Madison and Washington saw the cries of these various state conventions, and it convinced them to uh, add uh, the amendments that Mason basically wrote.
1: Yeah, what were Washington and Madison thinking? Were they saying, you know, this should go to the states? Was, was that their major complaint?
2: They thought a Bill of Rights was superfluous, um, that any right that was not named in the Constitution was assumed to be a state's rights, and Mason opposed that. He believed you know, that a despotic government like they had just broken off from uh, could overrule those rights if something was not written in stone. So he wanted a Bill of Rights to enumerate all these natural rights and freedoms that he thought were natural rights to mankind.
1: How come we don't hear more about Mason today?
2: You know, he's really overshadowed um, by Jefferson and Madison and Washington. Um, But I hope my book changes that perception because he really should be credited for two of the most famous documents in our history, the blueprint for both the Declaration of Independence and the Bill of Rights. Uh, It was his words first, before Jefferson's, that really made um, the words famous, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. He also wrote the impeachment clause uh, for the President and put in the words "high crimes and misdemeanors. He also wrote a definition of treason for the Constitution, saying "Aid and comfort to the enemy. So these were all George Mason's words that other people other founders get credit for, but it was really Mason's original words and documents.
1: I can't tell you how many times I've heard the expression, the Constitution is a living, breathing thing of today, and we need to be able to change it as times change and as society changes, which drives me nuts. But I know there's two sides to that question, but at least, I guess I just made it plain what side I'm on. At a time when the original intent of the Constitution is being manipulated by scholars and politicians. How can understanding George Mason help us rightly understand and interpret it?
2: Well, no, I agree with you. And that's one of the reasons why Mason and the founders sought to make amendments very, very tough to do um, and append to the Constitution. He basically believed that the House of Representatives in Congress should be the most powerful house because he believed that was the people's house. And government derived power from the people and not vice versa. And one of the other famous political ideas that he is not credited with but is essential to our form of government is he came up with basically the three branches of government to check and balance each other, the executive, judiciary, and the legislature. But he thought the House of Representatives in the Congress should wield significant power because that basically represented the people. And he believed that, and he wrote in the Virginia Declaration of Rights, that the government is and ought to be instituted for the common benefit protection, and security of the people, and not vice versa.
1: Who came up with the concept of House and Senate?
2: That was in George Mason's original Virginia Declaration of Rights, and that was basically adopted from his Virginia Declaration of Rights uh, 12 years later in the Constitutional Convention. But Jefferson and Madison also believed in that concept that three branches of government each to serve equally as a check and balance on each other. But it was Mason who actually was for very, very uh, limited powers of the presidency, because even though all the delegates assumed that George Washington would be the first president, Mason was afraid of who would follow George Washington and what that person would do with the power that was given to the presidency.
1: The Constitution that they worked so hard to pull together has lasted now basically 220 years, give or take a few. Right. And helped to create the strongest nation on earth. I would say that these guys were the right minds for the right time. Uh, the perfect storm of of intellectuals and guys who could get it done. It must have been a huge, huge challenge to them. What, which individual freedoms or rights are under attack today, and how can we, well, like, like George Mason, did defend them?
2: Yeah, I, I, you know that's that's certainly a, a point for debate. But um, certainly, um, the freedom of expression I think is under attack when you look at you know things like facebook uh deleting accounts because they don't agree with a particular point of view or a political point of view or they think this is hate speech certainly mason would certainly object to that because he believed in freedom of expression he believed in freedom of the press but he did not believe that also that the house of representatives or the senate should just be kind of a political harassment or a pestering of the presidency. And that's why he made it. One of his tenants was making the impeachment clause uh, so complicated and so tough because he didn't want the House or the Senate to basically be uh, a political harassment to the presidency. but To answer your question, I would say that he would think that maybe freedom of the press, freedom of expression, uh, is certainly under attack these days.
1: What did the Constitution lack that so gravely concerned Mason, other than the Bill of Rights?
2: Well, the other reason he did not sign the Constitution is there was a compromise between the southern states and the northern states to sustain the importation of slaves for another 20 years. And Mason absolutely objected to that and basically thought that was wrong. And he basically envisioned uh, a civil war that came about 100 years uh, after the Constitutional Convention. So he believed that slavery should have been abolished or the importation of slaves should have been abolished which basically Jefferson did uh, as president. But that was the second reason he did not sign the Constitution, because they did not really uh, solve or deal with the issue of slavery.
1: Which individual rights were Mason most passionate about and why?
2: Well, I think that, you know, he says it basically in his Declaration of Rights, and that is the freedom of the press is the greatest bulk work of liberty, and can never be restrained but by a despotic government. So he believed that in freedom of the press, freedom of expression to voice your opinion should never be uh, restrained. So I think he would probably say that that was his greatest uh, liberty, and that's the greatest liberty of society, is a free press, but certainly a free expression of your opinion or your idea.
1: Who was it that determined uh, the terms of a president to be uh, two four-year terms maximum?
2: Well, the Constitutional Convention uh, went back and forth between uh, six years, uh, four years. And then again, Mason's Mason's proposal was not to have a single president, but to have a three-member executive. But the final resolution and compromise was for uh, a four-year term for the president uh, to be elected uh, each four years, and that was their compromise when they ended the convention in 1787.
0: As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash podcast. That's indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.
1: If you will, could you kind of share what you think the most powerful and interesting parts of this book are uh, for our listeners? Because they're going to be interested in this book. And I'd like you to and I'd like you to stoke that interest right now. Here's your chance to let them know what makes the book George Mason by William G. Highland, Jr. very special.
2: Well, I think the book is special because George Mason was a very special individual. If Thomas Jefferson was a genius, and he certainly was professionally and personally, then George Mason was a near genius. Uh, His ideas um, resonate with us almost 230 years later. His natural rights, the freedom of the press, freedom of liberty, individual rights, and a very restrained national government all resonate today, and I really think he speaks to us very, very directly. Uh, his life and writings were directed by the epic issues of the revolution, and those are similar issues that confront us today. Those are individual rights, governmental power, and warfare. And I think really the the historical case can be made that George Mason needs to be credited with at least the first draft of both the Declaration of Independence and the Bill of Rights, and he really should be credited with both of those documents.
1: You've done a mountain of research to put this book together. It's really well done, and I enjoyed reading it. What findings most surprised you as you researched this book?
2: Well, I had no idea that he had 12 children. Um, He had 12 children with his first wife, Anne. Nine lived to adulthood. Uh, Three died. But I had no idea he had that big of a family. And secondly, uh, he married a second time, actually, to Sarah Brent. And that also surprised me at the time. But I had no idea he had such a big family uh, that he actually fathered 12 children, and I think they had 25 grandchildren.
1: The biggest issue that a lot of people have today with most of our founding fathers is the fact that they all did everything they could to ensure liberty, but at the same time owned slaves. Could you explain where Mason stood on that, and did his opinions change as he grew older?
2: Well, Mason basically wrote, and so did Jefferson, that they believed that all men were created equal, but they still were slave owners. Uh, And I have a special chapter in the book on Mason's views on slavery. He thought slavery and certainly the importation of slaves was wrong, and he basically came up with a plan to end slavery. But he did not think it was workable in their lifetime, He basically thought that it would be a political and economic solution for the next generation. So they did not come up and they did not deal with slavery in any meaningful way in the Constitution. And basically, it took a a civil war to solve that controversy. But he did believe that all men were created equal. Even though he was a slave owner, he knew that that system was wrong. Um, He was a very benevolent owner of servants and slaves, but he knew that the political and economic situation did not permit them to end slavery within their lifetime. He basically told his son, John, that this was going to be the next generation's issue to solve
1: and correct. That's one of the toughest things in history, one of the greatest stains on America's past. Although, to be honest, slaves were first brought to us by the British who were colonizing America?
2: That is true, and it was eternal and,
1: certain- and it remained for uh, it remained for two hundred years an issue with states, and an issue with drafting the Constitution, an issue with Declaration of Independence, and an issue with governorship, an issue everywhere. And the Civil War solved it certainly in one way, but it certainly couldn't correct all the problems that slavery caused. We're still working with them today, although we can honestly say that America has grown up a lot, and America has made freedom a lot more accessible than it was 100 years ago, or certainly 250 years ago.
2: Absolutely, and I agree with you. Um, but, you know, you, you need to look at these founders in their own time and in their own day, and I think a lot of historians look at them from a 21st century perspective. And like I say, it was Jefferson who basically abolished the slave trade. And in his original draft of the Declaration of Independence, he actually put in a clause to abolish slavery, but the convention objected to that at the time. So they knew that there was a problem. Uh, They knew that they uh, were being somewhat hypocritical, but they just couldn't come up with an economic plan to end slavery in their own lifetime.
1: Can you think of anything any anything you would like to cover regarding this book that we haven't covered now?
2: I think we've covered everything. I, I encourage people to read it. I think George Mason is a fascinating and certainly undercredited credited uh, founding father. And I think his life was amazing. And people will be very interested in both his personal and his professional uh, life. And I hope they enjoy the book.
1: I think this book is going to set the record straight for a lot of people, in terms of allowing George Mason to take his, his rightful and well-deserved seat among the most important of our nation's founders. And I want to thank you for your research that you put into this book. It's a great read, and it's a real eye-opener uh, because it follows the Revolution very, very well, something I barely touched on in this conversation. But uh, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of things in this book that I haven't read before, and there's new insights. It's filled with a lot of great insights. And it really does all lead to, the, to all the thought presses and, like you say, looking through the filter of time uh, as to why they made the decisions they did and how important those decisions that they made then are to us today. Just well written from beginning to end. I want to thank you very much for this and uh, wish you the very best. Do you have any books uh, planned beyond this
2: one? I've got another. I do. I'm writing another one on Thomas Jefferson's grandson. Thomas Jefferson Randolph, um, who was one of the most important figures in Jefferson's life, and that'll be out sometime next year.
1: Are there there any anecdotes or little bits of information that you might uh, like to end with?
2: Well, one of the anecdotes is that, you know, these, these men knew that they were committing treason, and they knew that if the revolution was not successful, that they would be executed. And they knew and had seen the actual, some of the atrocities that the British troops had um, done to traitors and who they believed to the traitors. And one of the, the things that Mason knew and uh, his wife knew is that when someone was hanged as a traitor, the British hanged them. But before they died, they cut their body down and they basically drew and quartered the body into fours. So it was a very brutal death for what the British deemed a traitor. So these men's lives were basically hanging in the balance, and they were facing a very gruesome execution if the revolution was not successful.
1: Was it Ben Franklin who said, if we do not hang together, we will certainly all hang separately?
2: That, that is correct. That is correct, and they they knew that that, this was a matter of life and death.
1: Thank you so much, Bill Hyland, for your book, George Mason, the Founding Father, who gave us the Bill of Rights. And how do people find the book, and how do they get in touch with you?
2: Well, it's in the bookstores now, Barnes & Noble. Uh, It's on Amazon, and it's also on an audio book, Audible.
1: It's been a pleasure speaking with you today, and I wish you the very best of luck going forward. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You bet. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, 1001 fans, for me, this book was one of those I-had-no-idea moments. George Mason fought for and gave us our rights. He wrote the blueprint for the Declaration of Independence. He was instrumental in giving us a government that would become the envy of the world. And beneath it all, he was just a quiet family guy who didn't see credit for what he had done. And like all of the Founding Fathers, he was risking the noose, or worse, if they lost their try for freedom. So when I hear people today saying they hate our country as it is, and want a new government, I doubt if any of them could hold a candle to what this man and others like him did to guarantee our freedoms today. We're asking for your support at patreon.com forward slash 1001storiesnetwork all new and now offering bonus 1001 episodes for your enjoyment. You can help to keep educational and interesting shows like this coming with your monthly pledges and help us get to 1001. Thank you very much. The link is in the show notes. Thanks for joining us today, and we'll be back soon.